0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Greetings, everyone, and welcome back from your holiday weekend. This is a special, actually, I might even refer to it as an, not, an unspecial, unceremonious, very short weekend catch-up edition of Fantasy NBA Today that will likely have Almost nothing to do with fantasy sports. Almost, I say. There'll be a little bit. Mostly, we'll be doing a quick recap on All-Star Weekend, what we got right and wrong on our very brief handicap on Friday show. Kind of setting the table a little bit for the stretch run here with strategic elements, but no deep dives today because, look, it's a holiday. Most people don't listen to shows on holidays anyway. If you guys do, you'll probably end up catching up on this one tomorrow. But I wanted to make sure we got something out because, honestly, at this point, um, it's a streak. I'll be lying to you. If I didn't have the streak going, I would have skipped today. 100 times out of 100. But I've got the streak going, so I ain't skipping today. And so we got a show out. That's what's happening. I'm Dan Baspris. Uh Hi again, everybody. This is Fantasy NBA Today. Once again, repeating myself is part of the business. This, of course, is a sports ethos presentation. The best damn fantasy site alive and it is not close ethos fantasy BK over on Twitter if you want to go check them out but let's quickly dive in here because I think uh I want to keep this show to about somewhere between 10 and 15 minutes this is very much a quick hitter and we're already a minute in uh very briefly here at the front end you guys want to know where the hell I disappeared to I guess it doesn't really matter because you know you still got the shows on the same days as usual but my, my family and I every year we try to take the kids one time to go see some snow. And, you know, the fastest way to do that, if from if you're in Southern California, is to go kind of up into the Big Bear Valley. We didn't do that one because we have some very close friends that live in the Bay Area. And we figured it would be fun if we made an annual tradition of meeting basically at not a geographical midpoint, but a distance midpoint, which is Yosemite. So we were off in Yosemite this weekend. It was really cool. Um, the weather was actually quite warm. But there was still a decent amount of snow left from that huge dump from uh, back near New Year's, where it was raining every day on the West Coast, at least uh, in the non-mountain areas, uh, and had an absolute blast. But the internet was god-awful. The power was out <laughs> for like a third of one of the days we were up there. And then even when it was on, it had about enough bandwidth for one person to be doing something, and uh, there were four adults and four children, and the older... Of the, the, the two older children um, are at an age where they want to be streaming stuff. Uh, so it was damn near impossible for me to see what was going on. So imagine my surprise. This is the, this is the segue. See how Dan, Dan did that there? It's, a, it's like, what a real expert move, they say. Imagine my surprise when I land back. Not land, we drove. Metaphorical. Land back in Los Angeles, to see that Russell Westbrook is signing with the Clippers? Yeah, there's a question mark at the end of that sentence. Not because that's not what's happening. That is what's happening. Woj has tweeted it, and everybody else has sent out their confirmation tweets, which are pretty hilarious, by the way. I feel like any one of us could be like, oh yeah, my sources confirm what you already heard from Woj. Like any any of you needed the other guy to confirm the Woj break, but whatever. This is madness. From all standings, from all vantage points, this is madness. Everything the Clippers do right now is built on effectively not having a true point guard, but if they did have one, and Reggie Jackson was kind of that, a little bit more of a scoring first point guard, they had John Wall, who is like a slightly worse version of what Russ is doing these days, meaning a point guard who crashes into people and makes wonky decisions. I don't get it at all. The way that this helps the Clippers, I want to try to do this from a, uh, a a positive place because I don't want this show to come off as just me bagging on Russ, which I I think I've done. People on Twitter, they're always going to yell about something, but I think on the podcast, I feel like I've done a pretty measured job at this front. Russ is, as a buyout candidate, like a perfectly reasonable dude to get on your basketball team. Because all the metrics show that he's been playing at about an 8 to $9 million type player value. Which in a vacuum doesn't sound all that bad. No, that's a decent role player. But, when you're making $40 million, that kills you in a number of ways. It's a negative because he's not living up to his contract, and then it's a huge negative because you can't then use that contract or that cap space that money to go get three very good role players or two slightly sub stars or a star and a role player or a max guy. That's why it's been so hard on the Lakers this last year and a half. It's not just that they had Russ and he was a bad fit. It's that his contract meant they couldn't get good fits. So they had frankly misfits. So for the Clippers side, I get it. You know, he's coming in effectively free at this point. His contract is, is being paid by the Utah jazz, uh, Whatever he agrees to with the Clippers, I believe, will just be whatever small amount the Jazz won't have to pay him as part of this this contract deal or its buyout. So, uh, at that point, you're kind of you're getting something on the house. So I get it to that end. And if he comes in there and he, you know, fulfills a role, it wouldn't be the worst thing on planet Earth. But here's the problem: Russell Westbrook has shown for better or worse, typically worse right now, that he doesn't have self-awareness. Some players age very gracefully in the NBA. Some players don't. We've seen it a bazillion times over the last 50 years or whatever. Some guys, as they get old, they are unable to see from the outside the erosion of their own basketball game and make the necessary adjustments to compensate for that. Someone who's aged incredibly is Chris Paul, actually. And I know this hasn't been the greatest year for him, but he's been able to find ways to continue to do the things that make him extremely effective, even as he's lost quite a bit of his speed. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize... Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. He still doesn't have to shoot a ton of three balls. But one thing that Chris Paul has always had over Russ is that his decision making has been better. For many years, Westbrook was able to overcome the bad decision-making, with superior athleticism to almost everybody else on the planet. There were a number of years that Russ was among the top three most exciting players in the NBA. I've always argued on this podcast, and you guys have heard this for five or six years now, that Russ creates a band of success for a team. Meaning, you will will know the exact floor and ceiling of what your team's going to be able to do if Russ is on it. The problem is, over the years, that band, which for a while was at, like, a decent mark. You always knew you were never going to be sub-500 with Russ, but you're probably also not going to be, like, a 60-win team. Almost no matter who was around him, barring you put Kevin Durant and James Harden all on the same team, but, like, a typical team around Russ was going to be pretty good, never fantastic, and never bad. But the problem, of course, is that as he's aged, that band has moved down the board. Where now, instead of being a bottom of 500 team, the best case scenario with a Russ-led team is probably around 500. And every year, the band drops farther. And every year, you just keep waiting and saying, okay, is he going to start to see himself the way that the rest of the universe sees him? Which is, this guy definitely has something left in the tank. He's not washed. He just doesn't fit in a lot of what the NBA does now. From a fantasy standpoint, I would be blown away if Russ had value on anything outside of points formats. And I know what you're saying. You're like, Dan, what if I'm punting some stuff? To that, I would say, are you punting both percentages and turnovers and threes? Because if that was the case, then maybe, but that's a weird set of punts. Because typically, if you're punting one percentage, your team is often pretty good at the other one, just kind of the way that The pendulum swings with this. The very bad field goal percent guys, meaning little guards who chuck, are typically pretty good at the free throw line. Freddie Van Fleet, Trey Young in some seasons, etc., etc. And, you know, flip it back the other way. So, no, I'm not racing out to pick up Russ. I know that the report said the expectation was that he was going to start for the Clippers once he got acclimated. I just... The thing about this that doesn't make any sense to me is if I'm the Clippers and I'm bringing in Russ... I feel like I'm getting something that could be actually kind of useful because in watching Clippers games this year, the overarching sentiment I got when I'm looking at the team, like what's the weakness on this team? The weakness is that they settle into ISO ball a lot. When things start to tighten up, Paul George and Kawhi just trade off, go on ISO. Sometimes they, someone sets a screen for them, but they're not really particularly accomplished pick-and-roll offensive players. It's just, you know, it's a way to get a switch, and then it's, you know, it's a pick-and-iso, a P-and-I. You can call it what you want, but that's what it ends up being. So then you throw Russ in the mix. You're like, okay, Russ, like... We're in one of these funks right now where maybe Kawhi doesn't have his lift at the end of a ball game or PG just doesn't have a shot at the end of a day. There were a couple games on their recent road trip that ended like that. One of them, they ended up winning in overtime. I think that was against the Knicks. The other one, I, don't, I forget exactly how it ended, but I think they blew it. Um, that's the kind of spot where you're like, you know what, Russ, get in there for four minutes and just run. Get a rebound and go. Do something insane. Maybe you make the sweet pass. Maybe you get everybody jazzed up. You bring the energy level up of the team. You make them pass again and then pull a the plug before you know what's coming. Because Russell Westbrook is a self enabler on a basketball court. If things are going well for him, he's just going to keep doing it harder and harder. While all of us are going, uh oh, uh oh, uh oh. Like we're watching the train continue to pick up steam while the track continues to bend. And you're going, at some point, this son of a gun is going off the rails. Can we slow it down before... Yeah. Now, if that's the spot they were going to drop him in, which is, I think, what the Lakers were kind of hoping to use him as, as an off-the-bench guy, but then Anthony Davis got hurt, and so they needed to use Russ a lot more, and then he had this big role. and then there was a big to-do anytime he didn't get back into the game in the fourth quarter, which, by the way, I always felt like the games where Russ didn't play in the fourth quarter... Oftentimes, those are the ones where I thought, you know what, they could really use him for like three minutes right in the middle of this quarter just to wake everybody up. He's a five-hour energy. He should be utilized by a basketball team as a relief pitcher uses Red Bull. Chug one real quick, go out there, go nuts, and then go sit on the bench for a little bit because it's going to wear off and it's going to get a little funky. But they're saying that they want him to start. Russell Westbrook as a full fledged starter on this team doesn't make a lick of sense to me. You're going to, that means more paint packing against them, which doesn't work in the modern NBA and more opportunities for him to crash into someone and take the ball out of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard's hands. I don't get it. We heard Patrick Beverly is going to sign with the bulls. Um, to me, that's a non factor. Uh, I like Patrick Beverly. I like generally what he does. Um, here the only thing in my eyes is that it just the Bulls just keep saying that they're going to they're not ready to pull the plug. It's not happening for a while and even when they do now, this is going to make life harder for someone like Alex Caruso, Io Desummu, Kobe White. It's just another guard kind of getting in the way. I think we talked about this actually on Friday's show of when we were doing a little bit of a look ahead, like who could have value on teams that might start to pivot into losing. And I think Pat Bev going with the Bulls That eliminates, or at least partially eliminates, the the possibility of those guards stepping into value. Now you're looking at pretty much only Patrick Williams on that team. As far as All-Star Weekend goes, as we wrap up this uh, very quick uh, holiday edition of Fantasy NBA Today, um, boy, we handicapped the crap out of that thing. I said don't bet on the game itself, because... You really you need to know who's gonna be on each team to figure out who's gonna care. And I you know, I watched that game actually. We I had it on in the background. Everybody was kind enough on our trip to let me throw the All Star game on. Um, I have thoughts about the game as a whole, and I under I, I only watch when I'm in town and I missed I didn't get to watch it live, but I got to watch highlights. I only watch All Star Saturday these days. I haven't watched the game itself in many years. It's it's stupid. The All Star game is stupid. And then you get like half the players saying, we want, to, we want this to be more competitive and fun. And then you get the other half saying, Well, you know, I'm not going to do this. Like, I got to save my body for a playoff run and so on and so forth. So they, <sighs> baseball ran into this. They tried to incentivize it. And then everybody hated that because something too important got attached to an All Star game. There has to be a middle ground somehow. I don't know what it is. I don't have the solution, but there has to be a middle ground. But regardless, Saturday, what did I say for the three-point contest? I said, the two favorites, because they really were better than everybody else. I like Halliburton, because nobody realizes how efficient he is from downside downtown. And it, and he's a low-energy shot. He's a set shot, not a jumper. And I like Larry Markkinen, uh, but that one didn't pan out. Uh, but three of the four guys I talked about made the second round. So you definitely won money on that one if you split a unit. And then as the dunk contest goes, I think we said like at this point Mac McClung is there's a reason he's an actual betting favorite that he was chalk because he was just a much better dunker than anybody else and he blew them away. I found that game hard to put actual coin on cuz I hate to bet on you know four player it's effectively a, a an exotic, I think is the appropriate term for that. Uh when you're not getting plus money on it. But again, there was a reason that he moved to Uh, what is effectively normal VIG for a a spread or a total, minus 110. So, um, I I mean, we got him. That's it. We got him. Yeah, I don't know what else to say about that stuff. Uh, I love the fact that stars participate in the three-point contest. That makes it a lot of fun. Uh, This year was interesting because you really did have some guys that were notably better shooters, but still had okay plus money odds just because other guys have superstar names, and that's important, and that's fantastic. That carved out a tiny bit of value for us. So, uh, you know, if you lost three quarters of a unit or whatever, and then you, you pulled some of it back, you probably came out a little bit ahead in that one. The only problem, of course, is that, you know, you can't, if you were betting the three-point contest, it would have been fun to be able to bet something like win, place, show, but, yeah, that. Uh, I don't think the three-point contest. You can bet it like the ponies. At least not yet. Maybe someday we'll head out. We'll do some off-track betting. A little OTB action on the three-point contest. All right, that's our quickie hitter today. All much more on tomorrow's show. We'll get you set up for the week ahead. Uh No time for strategy today, and frankly, y'all don't want it anyway. I just wanted to say hi to everybody. Thanks again for listening, uh, everyone. This is Dan Vaspers for Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. Have a lovely end to your president's day, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. So long.